Hi, I'm Dave Barnes. And I'm John McLaughlin. And welcome to Dadville. Dadville is a podcast where we talk about life, love, and the pursuit of awesome dadding. It's funny thoughts and deep talks. So please, enjoy your time here in Dadville and enjoy this episode with... Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, we need to. Okay. We need, this, yeah, we need to record. Podcast, we need to go. Right? We need to do this while the magic's happening. Okay, so John uh, Acuff, welcome to Dadville. Um, this is an honor to have you here. And before we get into it, just so you know, this is kind of how we roll. We 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 read the brag sheet, um, which yours is. I'm not gonna lie, it's kind of intimidating. No, like to your face, like I have oh, to yeah. listen well, to yeah. it. Yeah, no, that's yeah. half of it. Oh, you have to listen. Now, I I had the idea that I I still would like to keep on the table, and we don't have to do this today. But I think we should make the guest read their brag sheet. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna do that one of these days, dude. That'd be oh, that feels you know, like you know what would be best is you can't read it in third version. You have to say I. Yeah, you have to say I. You have to say I just to own it. No. Um, okay, oh. I'm not gonna make you do it. I'll do it for you. Okay, here we go. John Acuff is a New York Times bestselling author of seven books, including his Wall Street Journal number one bestseller. Finish. Give yourself the gift of done. He's an Inc. Magazine top 100 leadership speaker and has spoken to hundreds of thousands of people at conferences and companies around the world, including FedEx, Nissan, Microsoft, Lockheed Martin, Chick-fil-A, Nokia, Comedy Central, and Dadville. His large and highly engaged social media following (laughs) includes nearly 300,000 Twitter followers, 187 Facebook followers, just insane, and more than 125,000 Instagram followers, more than 90,000 email subscribers, we looked in for his unique blend of humor, honesty, and hope. He lives in right outside of Nashville, Tennessee, in Franklin, and his wife with his wife and two teenage daughters. His latest book, Soundtracks, which I'm really excited to talk to you about, by the way, mm-hmm. will be available nationwide April 6th, 2021. Dun, dun, dun. So it's available. There's no it's will. Available. It's out. It's in the world. It's right. changing lives as we speak. Yeah. We like to speak in sort of like weird tenses that confuse people. Yeah. Um, then you can release it whenever. Yeah. You can who like, says we can't put the past in the future? You know. Yeah. yeah. And there's your, there's your country song, John. Yeah. <laughs> who says we can't put the past in the future? I feel like that, that is a tra- line. That, that is a, Tracy a line. Lawrence yeah. Song in like 1997 that just got oh, buried yeah. under. It feels Travis Tritt to me. It like, does. That's fair. That's yeah. you've yeah. never said that sentence in your life, have you? Um, that feels Travis <laughs> Tritt to me. <laughs> That's something you say every day. So here's all right, John. This is something I, w- I want to start. <laughs> I want to get a little giggly because <laughs> it makes me laugh. Sorry, but I want to start here. Um, a lot of people do. I don't know if people know this about you. Okay, something I think is a really unique superpower of yours is is uh, John uh, is an amazing table tennis player. Yeah, and so. Yeah. Years? Are you still playing? And it's table tennis, right? It's, it's not. Yeah, tennis, right? I, I appreciate you. Re- How uh, would you uh, react if he said ping pong? Board. I would have said what, Dave? Um, <laughs> okay. I'm just, sorry. Just, so just to be clear, because <laughs> most people call it ping pong. Let's be honest. Yeah, they do. And, it, yeah. and, and they're wrong. So, are you yeah. still playing? By the way, no, not not regularly. I uh, eventually gave the table away. Um, oh, in the God. same way that like I moved into management, like Michael Jordan. Like at some point, you're like, I need to manage. <laughs> I don't need to okay. be on the court. Okay, well, let me <laughs> let me hold on. We've gotten too far in the story. So years ago, you know, we saw each other somewhere, and we were chatting, right. and you were like, "We need to play table tennis." Yeah, and I was like sure like uh, this means you know what you're doing because anytime yeah. somebody doesn't call it yeah. if someone's like, we need dangerous to. immediately because you yeah. know if so someone ever like, says we need to play table tennis and there isn't a table tennis in the room where they said it that means they're really good at table tennis <laughs> so i tell john i said man that sounds great it'd be great to catch up so i remember going <laughs> going to your garage and there is this Amazing table tennis. I mean, this in table. an average garage. It was the nicest thing in the garage. That's the problem. <laughs> but I remember being like, God, and you had like numerous paddles. You asked all yeah. these very kind questions about, do you want me to like take you and go up 15 and not try to catch you to 21? And you proceeded to obliterate me. And I'm not yeah. a bad, t- I'm not a bad ping pong player, but I'm a terrible t- table tennis player. Like you had the serve <laughs> where I don't know where it's coming from. The thing where you like, Use your arm That's like a baby. That's because I hired is, a coach. So here's what I want you to tell, because I still think this is one of the funniest things anyone has ever told me in my life. Is it so you and I catch up and I'm like, how did you get so good at table tennis? And you, I have John. I will think about this story every now and then by myself and giggle about how you tracked down an ex Olympic 
table tennis coach, two of which you told me actually live in Nashville, which still yeah. Only two. My, the state only of Tennessee. Two. There's only two. Yeah, there's the only two. Yeah. yeah. But so please tell everybody how, how you tracked this guy down and how the first couple of times y'all trained what he made you do because he's still one of the first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, my wife was like, you need a hobby. You're a workaholic. And I was like, well, why don't I get obsessively good at table tennis? Like, why don't I take something joyful and squeeze the joy right out by trying to become an expert? Now, now why table tennis? Why did, why did that come about? I just, I played it when I was younger and her family had like, uh, we'd play every other Thanksgiving and I wanted to beat her cousin because I came in second the year uh, before. So I was like, I want to, I want to okay. show up. Like nobody knows I've had a sensei and I'm like, Oh, I have my own paddle and it's made of ivory, like, <laughs> not, like fair trade ivory from the old days. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. The good um, stuff. And so I looked, I went to the team or the team USA website, which is like the official governing body of table tennis, obviously. Um, and I looked up table tennis instructors in the state of Tennessee. There's two. I wrote both of them and said, will you train me? And I don't know for what, like, but I was like, will you train me? One was like, I don't train. The other one was like, I'll evaluate. Hey, can can we just pause? Can we pause real quick? This is, this has been, I guarantee you, this has been a script that's floated around Hollywood for 30 years that no one has picked they up. They just can't get the funding. No, no. It's kind of like, I'm sure it's like Confederacy of Dunces. Like everybody's own that script. Like Will Ferrell tried to do it. Yeah, yeah. You just yep. can't figure it out. Yeah, do it. And so he's like, I'll evaluate you. And I was like, well, that's- wait, wait, no, like, no, get it. Say that again. His response to you in this email was what? Say it again. I'll evaluate you. And I, don't, I was like, and I don't know upon what. So like, I was like, I like the sound of that. Um, let's do a table tennis evaluation. So we went to TSU, Tennessee State University, um, over kind of near John C. Toon. And, um, and so he meets me there. He's in his mid-60s. He's from mainland China, which that's how he says it. So I start saying it that way, too. Um, <laughs> Immediately. And he's got a rolling suitcase with him full of who knows what kind of table tennis wizardry. And percussion. Um, and I purchased a carbon fiber handle paddle um, in the meantime with a carry case because I'm not a chump. Um, <laughs> is, that like, is that the deal? If you don't unzip, you're like, I'm not going to have my paddle exposed to the elements constantly. <laughs> oh, man, of course. Now, can, real quick, can I ask a question about the, the, the carrying case? I yeah. assume it, it, ha, it has some handles, some straps. No, the, uh, no, it just, uh, there's no, I mean, I think you can get like a, like a shoulder holster probably. What I, this what is, I'm picturing a shoulder holster and at the end of this long strap is just a, a ping pong paddle. Yeah, and then I get like there's a quick draw. Yeah, in case right. What I want is a backpack with a little ping pong. Like you actually have a backpack, but the only thing you're holding is a tiny little. Yeah, and the pong. handle is like just shooting up over your shoulder, like a bow and arrow. I would like, have yes. two handles so I could reach both of them. Of course, in case it's a double. Um, yeah, samurai. And so like I'm that. impressed by this paddle. He so we get there. The student union room is locked where the ping pong table or the table tennis table is, and he's like, so we stay in there for like half an hour, and he spends most of the time just telling me my paddle is terrible. He's like, this is a terrible paddle. So a good paddle, apparently, you buy the blade separately and then two rubber with different thicknesses for backhand forehand. And he was like, this is garbage. I was like, I was going to throw it away tonight anyway. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I brought this in as a joke. <laughs> exactly. You got the gotcha. job, instructor. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. That was a trick and you won. Um, so finally, he's like, I don't think they're going to unlock the student union. So he was like, why don't you hit the ball against the wall here in the lobby of the college you don't attend? And I was like, well, that doesn't feel awkward at all. Like, to be a 45 year old at TSU doing that on, doing that on a Monday night. So I swear to you, there's this airbrush mural of like whatever their mascot is, some jungle cat. And it's me hitting the ball. I'm like, and people keep coming in to see if the student union oh. is open. And I was like, this is the most embarrassing thing ever. And then he's like, why don't we play against each other? And I was like, well, the sport is called table tennis and we don't have a table. I mean, it's 50% of the name. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's like if somebody said, "Let's go swim," and they brought you to a field, you'd be like, "That's not how swimming works." <laughs> I want to see strokes. So he walks to the other side of the lobby, drops a pink uh, table tennis ball, starts hitting it back and forth to me, and we play without a table in the lobby. So it's me and an elderly Asian man on a Monday night at a college. Neither one of us attend, <laughs> and so we do that for a while. And he's evaluating how I move, like my side to side agility, I guess. And then eventually we went to, um, he had a rental property over in like Antioch and he would just throw 
like balls at me and yell, kill, kill, kill. And he wasn't saying you should kill it. He was saying, if you hit that weak shot back to me, I'd kill it. So every, he was really yelling, fail, fail, fail. So he said, whatever you do, I don't think he listens to this podcast. I don't know. But he said, whatever you do, don't go play up at the, the rec center. There's a, there's a night at the rec center. Don't go play up there. And his rival was there, and he didn't like his teaching style. There's a lot of politics in table tennis. <laughs> oh, um, and he was like, don't go play up there, whatever you do. I was like, fine, I won't. He's like, don't go. I'm like, I won't. So then my friend calls me. He's like, hey, you want to go play at the rec center? I was like, totally. So we go, <laughs> we go up there. I walk in and he's there and I like, I get caught cheating on him, which we've all been in that pinch where like you've cheated on a table tennis coach. It's a yeah, terrible yeah. feeling. I was going to say. And before he can talk to me, his rival comes up and starts giving me instructions. And I can see my coaches like, this is exactly what I knew would happen. And when I say instructions, I mean, this gentleman had straightened a coat hanger and had a wiffle ball on it. And he wanted me to spin the wiffle ball on the coat hanger because that's how you practice table tennis. And so I'm there, I'm doing that. I'm there three hours. My coach only says one word to me, which is relax in the least relaxing way possible. He said, relax. <laughs> and then we never spoke again, broke up that night, never spoke again. He's that, somewhere out. He's somewhere out in Nashville <laughs> doing whatever it is he does. And here he's, I am. He's we got, we got to get him on that. He's bill. smoking a cigarette at a table right now. Like going, let me tell you about this kid I met. Yeah. He had real <laughs> he had potential. I've he never potential. seen one, seen someone spin a hanger. The <laughs> wiffle ball bat. No, he would 90 degree it. Every his wrist work was exquisite. He, I put that story in a book. That's what's funny to me. Is like I, I know, like he doesn't know that story, but it's such a funny story to me, and it's such a good example of like. And my wife was like, "I love how you took something. I said you were a workaholic. You need a hobby, and you immediately turned that hobby into a workaholic <laughs> activity." And she was like, "And then you're, and then you put it in a book." I'm like, "This kind of what I do." So thank yeah, you. Like, she gave me a robot for Christmas that would fire ping pong balls at me in the garage. So I, I tried to recreate like like, like willy nilly or with the table. No, with the table. <laughs> Not just, yeah. When I would walk to my car, it would just shoot at me, and I'd have to duck real fast. Along with like condescending comments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, about your appearance. How's, how's table tennis going, huh? Like, oh, oh another God. black T-shirt. That's the fifth black T-shirt this week. Wow, get a brand. <laughs> get a brand. I mean, that is wow. So, so what is sweaty. that? You know, that kind of that kind of. It's fun to jump right in here because there's there's uh, there's a lot of things I actually want to cover. But you sort of nailed one of them. And one of the things that I think is so fascinating about your brand and what you talk so much about in your books and in your in your talks is this sort of work dynamic. Like work is a big part of, you know, your thing. And even then you talk about how the na your natural flow is to take something that was fun and sort of turn it into work. Yeah. What, what What's the consistency? Like what what is that about you and the way your brain works? Like what is that? I don't know if it's that, I, that I'm curious about performance um, or that I have a hard time just being still, mm. um, you know, and I'm like, okay, well, how do I, how do I turn this into a game or how do I, you know, I do something once and then I'm like, I'm going to do it this way for a hundred years in a row. And my wife is like, or maybe do it twice. Like, let's see how the second time goes. <laughs> like, and I'm like, no, I've done, I went to that coffee shop and I wrote there and I wrote a good page. And so from here on out, I go to that coffee shop every day until I die. And she's like, or maybe a second time. So I, I don't know. I don't, it's something that I, and I think a lot of people do it. Um, I mean, it's the same thing where I'll meet people that'll go, I'm going to start running. I'll go, that's great. And they'll go, yeah, I'm going to do a marathon. I'm going to do the Ironman like this weekend. I'm going to get like, and they'll go so heavy into it. And I'll go, what about like a 5k? Like, what about yeah, like, this, yeah. okay, get a tiny little medal. Like, okay. <laughs> like, okay. No, okay. I'm motivated. I'm motivated. And they buy bikes. Like where we live in Williamson County, people buy, and I did this. I bought like a carbon fiber like bike and I was like, I'm a cyclist now. I'm going to go all in. And then like, I hated it. I don't like any sport that involves getting hit by cars. Like yeah. not even like, I have a friend that got hit three <clears throat> times and then his parents eventually gave him a mountain bike and were like, Hey, it's time for you to be on trails. Like not in the, they can't like, find you. Yeah, exactly. Like, like you're like, I don't like hit me once. Shame on you. Hit me three times. Like it's probably time. Yeah, to right. Like God is telling me something. Yeah, God's trying to get me off the road. Like in a gentle way, like using a Honda Accord, like it's fine. It's just a nudge. I yeah, feel like people, uh, pe maybe this is an overgeneralization here, but I feel, I feel like a lot of people who operate at such a level like that tend to operate at, out of, how do you say it? Like, uh, um, 
from like a an uncomfortable place. Like I, I think of like Michael Jordan or somebody who is like he it's it's like operating out of like a deficit or however you say that. Like he's not doing it for necessarily the joy of the game. Right. No. Like I did you I, ever look at Kobe and think, wow, he is full of he's joy. Having he's having block. a good time out there. <laughs> yeah. And he just yeah. happens to be making shots. Like I, I play tennis. Right. And uh, I don't know how you feel about tennis uh, in regards to table tennis. I don't, I don't mean to offend you by any means, but um, <laughs> yeah. I play tennis and I, I just love literally the feeling of the tennis ball hitting the racket. Like mm-hmm. when you get good, you start hitting in the sweet spot. I love that. So like that's where I'm operating. If I, if I happen to like win the point or whatever, that's icing on the cake. But I feel like I'm never going to be that guy who is like dominating I, I don't even, I don't really want to, but you, you, it sounds like you are somebody who just gets deep into stuff. Right. And next thing mm-hmm. you know, you have a table tennis coach and, and his <laughs> rival is China. also coaching him from mainland China. Yeah. <laughs> but would you say, but, but you don't strike me as someone who is like living out of like uh fear or deficit or something like that. I wouldn't you know say what I mean? I, yeah, I don't think I do, but I would say that, there's been a lot of, you know, the, this book soundtracks about kind of the repetitive thoughts. There's been situations where I feel like I am living out of a deficit and I go, mm-hmm. wait a second, mm-hmm. what's going on there? Like, why did I act that way? Like, what does it look, you know, what does it look like for me to be open handed in this situation? Um, and to, you know, have more joy in this situation. And so like, it's silly, but like one of the things I love to do, like my dorkiest hobby is I love putting together massive Lego cars, mm-hmm. like a Porsche and like, and there's that temptation to go like, oh, you should do a YouTube channel. Like you should, but I will never do that right. because I suck the joy right out of it. Yeah, now yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm like now I'm competing with some 11 year old who I'm like, friggin' Devin, look at his views. <laughs> he's killing it. Oh, he's killing it. Ah, Devin, like Devin from Cleveland, exquisite. Yeah. His the older work. I get, the less I, the less, the older I get, the more comfortable I get with going. No, I'm just doing it for the act of doing it, and there's joy yeah. there, and that's enough. Like the joy is enough, and if I. If I add all these things to it, I'll ruin the joy. So, like, the joy's enough. Hey, Johnny. Hey, Dave. You know that summer's here. You've been walking around the, the uh, street with your shirt off, which is a little awkward, and I can't help but stare. But you know what else that means? Popsicles, eating watermelon, and most importantly to my family, reestablishing friendships with the people who have pools. Oh, finding a pool is crucial. And there's something so magical about the summertime. Like when Danny Zuko from Greece captured it perfectly with that I think that's the melody. That's beautiful disaster. Beautiful just, disaster yeah. just for legal reasons. Well, I do know this one. Tell me more, tell me more. Which is actually good for what I'm about to tell you, because you know what? You're not wrong. You should tell people more about solo stokes. You know what's made our summer nights even more magical? Mm-hmm. Using one of the three that we have in John. I have every size of these things. I can't tell you how much I love them. Our smokeless fire pit, the solo stove has turned our summer nights into unforgettable memories. I can't get enough of gathering around a solo stove. It's so much more enjoyable than gathering around a regular fire pit. Ugh. All the smoke. Ugh. Ugh. That's yesterday, people. The future is solo stove. Nothing ruins a campfire more than the wind blowing some heavy smoke right into your face. But with Solo Stove, you don't have that problem. Oh, my gosh. I can't tell you how excited I was when we bought our Solo Stove bonfire. It's the perfect size for our backyard. It's so sleek and really classes up the joint. I was also amazed with how easy it was to start a fire in it. Usually, it's so difficult to start a bonfire, but due to the stove's design, you can have a roaring fire for marshmallows and hot dogs within minutes. Totally. And I was skeptical, but it really delivers. But you know what my favorite part is? That what? It's so easy to clean, and you know how much I love to clean fire pits. It burns so perfectly that all you're left with is that pure white ash. No more charred hunks of wood. Gross. John, I've always said you had such a nice ash. You know it's a great product when the company is so confident you'll love it. They offer a lifetime warranty and 30-day free return policy. There's always a reason to gather around a fire, Dave. But with Solo Stove, just took away any reason not to. Oh, and now you get $10 off when you use the promo code DADVILLE at checkout. Just go to solostove.com and remember, you get $10 off when you use the promo code DADVILLE. You know, Jenny, yeah. one, I just, she reminds me so much of Annie, my wife, because every time you talk about her, she says things that Annie tells me, you know, and I think y'all's marriage is always so funny and so reminiscent of mine because 
there seems to be an equal and opposing energy from her that sort of like counterbalances your energy. You know, is that always been the case? Totally. And, you know, one of my favorite questions she ever asked me um, when I was working on this book, she walked in and she'd been reading some of it. She goes, do you want feedback or compliments? And I was like, oh, that's a good, that's a good question. Compliments every time. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that is a good question. Because she would say that in our initial years of marriage, we did like a video the other day about being married to a dreamer. And she said, yeah, I said, how did you used to give me feedback? She was like, not at all, because you were very fragile. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, yes. And so, yeah, I would say that like that's always kind of been our back and forth. Um, and it's it's fun. And she's, you know, she's a full cup wife. Like she's mm. just she has so much to give. And, and my life is so much better. Like, I feel like my marriage is shortening the distance between when she tells me something is true and I. I act on it versus like, you know, when I was early, like when I was married earlier, it would be like, I would ignore it or I'd be grumpy about it. Or somebody at a bar, I would overhear them say the same thing. And I'd come home and go, Hey, this stranger said I should try this thing. And she'd be like, the thing I've begged you to do for a year, like the stranger, like, yeah, I think he had a mustache. Didn't get a good look at him, but I think I'm going to take his advice. And she'd be like, what? (laughs) So I, yeah, it's just, for me, it's so fun because you know, we're all in a creative, unusual career. Like the three of us have creative, unusual careers and, and having spouses that can speak into that is a huge gift. Yeah, it is. John and I both between Amy, Amy and Annie, it's funny how much, and I can just speak for mine, but how much I need, even when I'm like, this is going to hurt. Like I play her a song because she's going to, you know, Annie's a truth teller. So she's going to tell me the truth. It sounds like Jenny's the exact same. That's why I always laugh. Anytime you write or talk about her, I'm always like, I just know that feeling so well. It's like, you know what's coming, so it's your job to brace for it. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I know what I'm asking for when I go like, hey, can I play you something? You know, like, I've already done a lot of work. I've been back here mm-hmm. sort of prepping myself. Like, you know what can happen here, Dave, you ready? But it's also, it's almost like you get addicted to that kind of truth. Like, and I think to your point, you can, especially vocationally, I've found myself really aligning myself to like, that is now a regular, that's a normal thing for me. It's kind of have her backstop of me going, Hey, what do you think about this? She's like, Hey, it's really great. Actually. She's telling, I believe her. And then when she says it's not, or she's like, yeah, I think you've done, you know, this is kind of, I'm like, well, it's hard. It's hard to find it. Right. Cause it's hard to, it's hard to do it. It's hard to give true, honest truth to Mm -hmm. someone unless it just happens to be like, wow, that's the greatest song I've ever heard. Or wow, that's the greatest, you know, table tennis, uh, backhand I've ever seen, you know, look at the (laughs) wiffle ball spin. But if it's not that, you know, and you got to give some kind of like criticism, that's so tough to give. So I feel like with Amy, who does give tell me the truth, it's like such a rare thing that, you know, I'm just glad that it exists in my life. When it sounds like she just knows you so well, too, John, like she, knows, she, you know, it's not. And I think that's every marriage, good marriage, you hope is like your partner is not just dedicated to giving you the truth or whatever. She's also like, Hey, I know how I know you. And I know this is what you need from this. So. Well, and, you know. and she's not throwing fuel on the fire. So like, if there's say somebody offends me, she's not like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they did that. You should be so offended. Like, she's like, who cares? There was one right. person on the internet. Like we right. don't even know that guy. Like right. what's the big deal. I think that's where sometimes marriages get dangerous. And then like, Freaking Devin. She, yeah, exactly. And then like <laughs> continuing to develop, like she told me, I found out the other day, we've been married for 20 years this month. She grew up watching Formula One. Like, I've never heard that in my life. Like, we were watching a show on Netflix about Formula One racers. She's like, I used to watch a ton of Formula One with my dad. I was like, I was like, what? Like, I was like, you are such a, an enigma. I was like, that's 20 years. You've never been like, oh, yeah. It just drops the, it. Yeah, Monaco is a real tough track. But a lot of, a lot of racers, you know, the Ferrari team, man, their they're, they're pedigree. Like, it just so I love that. You can marry somebody and be married for a long time and still discover new things about them that are just surprising. Like yeah. halfway through the interview, she starts she she's saying line for line what the guy is saying about the Monaco track to go to hard turn forward. It's classic. Everybody yeah, knows exactly. this. Everybody knows in Italian. So so okay, so John, here's one of the things that's so fun about you. John and I were talking about this. One of the things that is fun about, you know having guests on that are specialists, which I think you are, I mean, you are really good at what you've done is, is, you know, being able to sort of get into these things that you have specialty around and and wisdom around the trick about you though, is you've got so many books. And so I had this idea 
And this is me. I don't even know if you can do this. So buckle up and let's see, you know, what, what you let's got go. happened between the years. But I thought for the for the sake of, you know, our listeners, dads and and parents who are listening, moms, I want to kind of if you can do this, it, it would be I think this would be a really cool sort of exercise, you know, go through each of your books. And as you think about parents, namely, you know, because I thought like it'd be fun to kind of talk for a, a you know, a minute about each of them because I think they have such great things to say. But what would be, you know, how would you say these books have something to say, or what's the wisdom in it for like a dad, especially? Yeah, you know totally. What I mean? So, the first book, Stuff Christians Like, um, favorite <laughs> line, um, maybe favorite line I've ever written. And my, it, I wrote the intro. My wife was like, it's not good. It's not interesting. She was like, I dare you to write the one you really want to write. The opening line is, if you buy this book, God will make you rich. Um, <laughs> so like, that is, I still, like that Zondervan let me publish that is just such a gift. Um, so for a dad, I'd go, it, like, it gives you a chance to laugh from a faith context at some of the funny things that happen in parenting. Some of mm. the funny things that, you know, church related that happen in parenting. I'm a pastor's <laughs> kid, grew up in the church. That's kind of that's what that book I would say for a parent is. But um, you don't. But y'all didn't have you didn't have the girls yet at that point, did you? No, I did. Yeah. You did. Okay. So that one, I had a seven year old and a five year old, I guess. When oh, okay, I, came I out. didn't know that. I didn't um, know. And then uh, the next book was Quitter. about yeah, Quitter. That one. Um, the the lesson there is about how do you as a parent provide for your family while at the same time figuring out okay, I want to provide for my family. I also want to kind of feed this goal or this dream I have. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to have this empty career. Like one of the worst things you can do is show your kids that work is miserable for 18 years. And then act wow. surprised they don't want to get a job after they graduate. So we demonize <laughs> so work good. for 18 years and they're like, Oh, it's terrible. It's the worst. I hate work. And then they graduate from college. We're like, why aren't they getting a job? Cause they learned from you for two decades that work was miserable. They don't want to go do this miserable thing. Right. So that's what quitter is. The Gazelle's book has a really long title. That was a book, kind of the funny side of finances. So as a parent, if you were like, hey, finances is a hot topic for us conversationally, that's what that one would be. Um, start- well, on, we, you, you just said that something really profound, though, when you're talking about Quitter. And I just I think it's worth bringing back up. How So, so how do you how would you encourage people that, that are struggling through? I, you know, I laughed. It's it's dare I say providential with a small P that we're talking about this, but today, you know, my son, Sam wanted to play. He's home today. He's four. And a couple of times, you know, I, I had a busy day. And so I was like, but I'm so sorry. I got to work. And both times I said it, I was like, I wonder what that's doing to his brain for me to apologize that I'm working. And I mean, th- there's something yeah. sweet about it. Cause I'm saying, Hey, I love you. And I would, mm-hmm. I want to play with you, but I have to, but even to your point, there is something really profound about that dilemma to me, you know, like I how think we... the thing you do, like one simple exercise is you connect um, the fun things you do to the work you did to earn them. So like when I'm at Disney with my kids, I'm going, remember that time I had to go to Oklahoma and I did that two day, that two day event out there and I missed your piano recital. Well, that's connected. That allowed us to do this. So you're that's constantly right. going, mm-hmm. you're showing, you're connecting, you know, your work life to your life life and showing mm. how they serve each other. Um, yeah. and you're, you know, you're openly sharing that. So yeah, the, it, and it could be a word change. Like I have to, to, I get to, you know, like yeah, yeah, oh, I get to do yeah. some podcasts. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. you know, and so that, so that would be a really specific way to do it. Um, That's great. the gazelles, yeah, it was a funny book about finances. So like, if you're a parent and you're like, finances is one of our stressful things, or I don't know how to talk to my kids about money. Um, it gives you kind of a funny avenue into that. Start was a, it's kind of my first like motivational book about what's something you want to start. And so that was probably the first book that I had parents pay their teenagers to read. I've had parents say like, Hey, I paid my kid 50 bucks to read this book. It really challenged them. Um, and so that was kind of, that started me down the parenting path there. What what Um, did that, can you, can you speak more to that? Like, what did you find that was, uh, why did the parents want their kids to read it? Because there's this sense of when you're in your 40s and you're a parent and you discover some truth, you want your kids to discover it 20 years earlier. Mm, um, because yeah. you can see like, oh, if I had had this tool, like, oh, if I had, you know, like this would have. So that's, I think, what happens to parents. And the tension there, you have to really balance it as a parent because there's this temptation to go, like, I'll have people read, you know, my books and go, hey, I'm 45. My 15 year old isn't engaging with your stuff. What should I like? How do I get him goal focused? And I'll go. Well, you gave yourself 30 years to get that way and you want him to be that way at 15. Mm. Like where you goal focus at 15. So there's this tension Mm. there. So like an example of that, this summer, my kid's job is to like my two daughters, I have a junior and a uh, 
freshmen, so a rising senior, rising sophomore, their summer job is to read 15 classic books that we've picked out. Like that's all they're like, that's their job. Cause they're not reading a lot of this literature anymore. And we're as a family, like, man, these books are like foundational, like, and mm. it really opens your eyes to like all these worlds. And so we picked out my wife and I like, Hey, here are the 15 books we want you to read. We're going to pay them to read those. Um, wow. And so that, you know, for I've me, never heard of that. That is such a cool idea. Yeah, they're fun books too. Like one is The Count of Monte Cristo. Like The Mm, Count of Monte Cristo, every revenge movie ever made is tied back to that. John Wick is taken from Count of Monte Cristo, like Payback, Man on Fire. Um, And so it's a mix of nonfiction, a mix of fiction. So that would, you know, that's kind of my opinion on that is, okay, how do I bring my kids into bigger conversations or open their eyes to a bigger world? Um, And so that, you know, start really began there. Do over um, was really about, (laughs) how do you build a long-term career that's satisfying to you? Like how do you, the four things in there are relationship skills, character, and hustle. And you need all four. If you, if you say you have tremendous character, tremendous skills, tremendous, you know, relationships with no hustle, you become every NFL draft bus that have had enough, mm. enough natural talent to crush high school, enough uh-huh. natural talent to crush college, but didn't work hard in the big leagues and falls apart. So that's what that, that book was about. Um, finish um, was about teaching people that actually finish the things they start. Mm. 92% of all new year's resolutions fail. Like you have a greater shot at getting into Juilliard than you do at finishing a goal, which is an 8.6% acceptance rate. So the book there was about, okay, how do you, and that one, if you were, if a parent asked me, how does that apply? It would be about keeping promises. It's so easy as a parent to make promises to your kid and not keep them. And every time you say, we're going to do this thing. And then you don't do that thing. It gets harder for the kid to believe it next time. So Mm. like finishing is about keeping promises, promises to yourself, promises to your family. And then soundtracks is probably well, hold the on. Book. This, this this is you got too much gold here, man. You're just like, and then I did this amazing thing. Listen, to all this wisdom. Let me move on. So here's the thing that I'm curious about. When you think with finish, um, what like what are the big sort of tenets you encourage people in that book? Like, what are the things that somebody you know, if you're thinking of like you said, to sort of help your kids and yourself understand how to get things accomplished and done? Like, what were what's some of the roadmap there? Well, one of the big ones was uh, the ping pong story came out of us studying. I've got this researcher named Mike Peasley. He's a PhD over at MTSU. And so that's been an evolution of my books. Finish and soundtracks, I worked with a researcher. So Mm. when I have the idea in here, it then goes to thousands of people I test it with before it ever makes it into a book. So that's been Mm -hmm. really helpful because – God forbid I write another book that's kind of a memoir of my life. Like I'm 45. Right. Like I can't right. be like, I found a new angle in my life. It's pretty interesting. Like, come on, dude. And so that's what's really fun is I have these really generous readers that will go, I've read all your stuff and here's how it applies to parenting. Here's how it applies to being a single mom. Here's how it applies to being a CEO. And then I put that all in a book and then I get to release that. So mm. that was part of the process with Finish. And so we did this study where we tested the value of fun. So I made table tennis, not fun. So I was like, does fun matter to a goal? Cause I go to all these serious companies and they're like, we're serious company. We're not Google. We don't have pony rides. Like that's who everybody uses as an example. <laughs> I wasn't aware that Google has pony rides. Yeah. I mean, we lost you. I don't know what happened, but he, he, he hear me? yeah, there you go. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, study two things like whenever you look at something like this, you study two things, satisfaction, performance. How did I feel? How did I do? And the people that made their goal fun, increased their satisfaction by 31%. But the crazy thing was they increased their performance by 46%. So there was this huge result that the more fun you have with it, the more joy you add to it, especially things that aren't inherently fun, the better you actually perform at them. Wow. That was a big part of it was, okay, how do we, how do we make the things we do in, in our goals, you know, more fun, more enjoyable so that we stay at them longer. We actually find ways to have fun with them. So that was to me, one of the big tenets of finish was that, was that idea. And then the other one Mm -hmm. is like, how do you make the goal the right size? People are terrible at overestimating what they can accomplish. Mm. So they, you know, they, they read one book and go, I'm going to read a thousand this year, or they Mm. run one mile and go, I'm going to do 500. Mm. And then they get really disappointed in the middle. And so we had this idea that we tested where like, if you said, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds and you lose eight, you feel like you failed by two and you give up. Where if Mm. you say, I'm going to lose five and you lose eight, you feel like you won by three and you try again. Mm. So we asked people to cut their goals in half and the people who did were 63% more successful. Wow. Which is indicative of how bad we are at going, 
I'm going to do this. I'm going to have a hundred <laughs> podcast episodes. You're like, what if you had 20? Like, what yeah. if you did 20 and then maybe yeah. you did 20 more? Yeah. Um, so that was a big, for me, those two things in Finnish were, were interesting. I can't, uh, you know, one thing that uh, resonates with me as a parent, especially in that last sentiment is I think of these things I want to try to pull off with my kids or like, you know, little dreams or trip. Yeah. And, and every year I've failed because I'm like, we didn't do the 75 things that we had yeah. agreed you know, or well, think about our books. Parks, There's books that are like a thousand places to visit before you die. And you're like, I have so much other stuff going on. Like <laughs> that just feels like too many. Like I can't, that doesn't, that feels like a job. I heard Seinfeld say that on a podcast. He said his daughter was like, I'm going to write all day. And he was like, no, you're not. You're going to write an hour. Cause like nobody writes all day. Like it's the same. Like if you guys were like, we really right. need to buckle down on songwriting. We're going to write for 12 hours. You're like, not good. No. It's not going to be good. No. Like maybe two, three hours, like yeah. great session. 12 yeah. hours, yeah. terrible session. Terrible, terrible. Yeah. So, and then what, so, so tell us, so with Soundtracks, your new book, what, what is that one? Like, what's the, you know, I know it's about overthinking and how, how does that iterate? That's the one that I think more parents are going to read with their kids than any other. Wow. Um, so the idea of Soundtracks is, um, with overthinking, a lot of people say, stop it, stop it, stop it. My opinion is that's impossible. Number one, number two, why would I ever turn off this machine? I'm really good at thinking. What if I just thought good thoughts that pushed me forward versus held me back? Like, yeah, can you yeah. imagine how your life would change? And most people don't understand they get to choose their thoughts. They think a mm. thought is something you have, <laughs> not something you own. And so we've already mm. seen parents say, well, where's the parenting version? Where's the kids version? We want to, you know, and what's cool is that Kids get this faster than adults. When you talk to a 45-year-old about like, hey, here's a broken soundtrack I think you might have been listening to. Um, and let's like the book teaches you to retire broken soundtracks, replace them with new ones, and right. repeat them so often right. they become as automatic yeah. as the old ones. Wow. A kid doesn't have 30 years of broken soundtracks yeah. to unlearn. Yep. A kid gets it like that. So a nine-year-old goes, oh, I get that. That's true. Mm. Like, I get that. And so that's what's been really fun. And once you discover the metaphor of soundtracks, you realize individuals have them, couples right. have them, families have them, companies have them. And most of the time, they're not stated out loud. Um, they're, they're just something that's happening in the family. And so if you can say, what do we want the soundtracks of this family to be? Like, let's, you know, we're going to lean into that. We're going to create them together and we're going to live those out. It gets really fun. You, you said it's so amazing. You're, you're, you're referencing that because I know you had five, I know you talk about <laughs> the five signs you see when your family needs a new one, which I'm fascinated. Can you kind of speak to that? Like, well, so, I mean, one sign is that nobody gets to talk about them. Like they're all unwritten, but you have to perform against them. So like, you don't get to say like, Hey, here's this thing. I would like to change this thing. It's all unspoken. Huh. And I think that's where it's, it's, it can be super, super, you know, challenging for a kid. Um, another sign that there are some broken ones is that they're constantly changing. The kid never knows what the expectation is because they're constantly changing. And then the kid is in this sort of guessing game of, okay, well, which, which one, which, you know, which one matters? Another one is they're not clearly communicated. So you can have 20 of them, but which ones really matter? You see hmm. leaders do this. Like a bad leader will brainstorm something with their team and not tell their team which things matter. And then the <laughs> next week go, hey, remember that list of 20? Did you do two, seven, and nine? And the team goes, Ah, uh, we guessed that eight, four, and one were the ones that mattered. And so like in the same, in the context of a family, you're like, okay, what, you know, what really matters here? What's different? And then the other one is just, mm -hmm. look, we kind of talked about it earlier. Yeah. What are the broken soundtracks of a parent that you're handing down to your mm. kid, that you're passing on um, to, to your kid? And so that, you know, I think huh. the best parenting information in the book is about business travel and what I learned, like the soundtrack I learned about that. Like I've had so many parents go that changed. Yeah. Pl please talk about that. Yeah. So my job went from zero days of business travel to like 80, 80 a year, 80 nights wow. a year, because I became a writer and a speaker and I was in corporate marketing before I never traveled. And I felt this tremendous guilt. And my wife, um, you know, kind of pulled me aside because I would kind of stir the kids up and be like, I'm leaving for town. I'll be home in four sleeps. Like, <laughs> and I would, and my wife finally pulled me aside and was like, Hey, they don't even know to be sad. You're teaching them to be sad. Like you're teaching right. them to be sad because you feel guilty and you're having them hold Jeez. the guilt for you. And she right, was like, right. that's not helpful. She said, when you leave, we need to celebrate that. Go do your job. Go do your work. Yeah. Like wow. we love that. Right. And because kids, there's this part of your brain called mirror neurons. Your kids will mirror what you're putting out. 
and that's what I was doing. And so I had to pull the thread. Like I always tell people, if you, you know, when you find a broken soundtrack, pull the thread. The easiest way to find a broken soundtrack in your family and your life is to do this. Write down one thing you want to do. Write down one desire. I want to start a podcast. I want to take my kid fishing. I want to write a book. Write down one desire and then listen to what you think. Because every reaction is an education. Like listen to your reaction. Because it's like you do you mean you mean like what are the reasons why you're not doing that? Well, if you say, you know, we had a dad the other day post, we did this old soundtrack, new soundtrack thing where we said, share your old soundtrack and then share your new one. And he wrote Mm -hmm. down, my old soundtrack is I don't get to be a good dad because I didn't have a good dad. That's what he was listening to himself. Every time he tried to be a good dad, he'd hear, you don't get to be a good dad. You never even had a good dad. Like you don't even know what to do. Like, and he wrote down a new soundtrack, like, no, I get to be a good dad. Like, and his kid's life will be different from learning that new soundtrack. Like that's generational, generational change. So that's what I mean is if you wrote down, I want to write a book. And the first thing you heard is people like you don't get to write books or Mm. like, who are you to think you can write a book? Like you don't, smarter people have already written all the books that you want to write. You need to listen to that and go, okay, that might be a broken soundtrack. And then the three questions you ask it, like when you bump into a broken soundtrack, you ask three questions. Is it true? Is the thing I'm telling myself true? Number two, is it helpful? Does it move me forward or hold me back? And number Mm -hmm. three, is it kind? If I said it to a friend, would they still want to be my friend? And you need all three questions because it might be that, like, is it true? Um, I don't know how to be an amazing dad. That might be true. You might not know right now, but telling yourself that over and over again, is it helpful? Does it make you want to learn how to be a good dad or does it stop you in your tracks? And would you ever say it to a friend? Is it kind? And so those questions. And so when I asked myself that question, I kind of pulled the thread and was like, why do I feel guilty traveling? Well, I had good parents and my dad's a pastor. My mom's a dental hygienist and they didn't travel. So I took that as good parents don't travel. So therefore bad parents must travel. So when I started to travel, I had this broken soundtrack of that and I had to go, is it true? Well, I mean, I guess you could say, you know, it, traveling a ton could be bad, but is it kind? No, it's it's not kind. You know, is it helpful? It's not helpful. Is it kind to my wife? It's certainly not because I stir up the kids. I'm like, got them all anxious. See yeah. you later. Like, <laughs> yeah. is it kind to me? No, it was ruining this joyful thing I get to do. I mm. love being on stage. Like, you guys get that. Like, when mm. somebody's like, hey, you could monetize your platform a different way. You'd never have to perform live. You're like, but I, that like, that's the thing. Like. I, I love that thing. Yeah. And so it wasn't kind. And so I had to say, okay, I'm going to retire that soundtrack and that good dads do business travel, like good moms do business travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I was reinforcing my kids that work is terrible because I was going like, Hey, light a candle in the window for me. Like, like, like I was going to Mars for like a month, not going to two nights at the DFW. Marriott. You know, like, come on. Which I think is sort of Mars. If we're being honest, <laughs> well, dude, DFW finding the rental car place to return is mars that airport is 92 (laughs) miles long and you're like i I will say if there's maybe one thing that i had to uh you know say that i've learned from doing this podcast it is that i am so aware now of all the all the things that i focus on as a dad are all coming from my past you know what i mean like uh, we had stephen james on last year and you know, I explained this sort of scenario with my oldest daughter and the first time we went to school and they had, you know, she was playing with all the other kids and the, all the parents were having a meeting and I just couldn't stop watching Luca out there. And I'm like, is she playing with kids? She's not playing with kids. She's not, uh, she's, you know, and in my head, I'm like, she's not going to have any friends. She's going to be, you know, she's going to be the weird kid in the corner playing, yeah, playing with, uh, you know, a leaf. And he's like, no, no, that's your thing. She's totally fine. Um, but that is so helpful, I think, for... That's helpful for me. That's helpful for dads. I think especially that's got to be helpful for working moms because I, I, I would have to imagine working moms have this undue sort of guilt and shame. And it's so helpful to hear, like, you can love uh, what you're doing you can leave and you can go work and like you're saying like yes you can do it too you can much do everything too much you can eat sure, too many but... vitamins like it doesn't mean the vitamins <laughs> bad but like right. the thing with moms is with right. mom shame there's not even a phrase dad shame we don't talk about that for like i've never met another dude that was like man i just spent all day looking at instagram feeling insecure about my fatherhood and i feel real low like our default <laughs> is we are amazing like i'm crushing like yeah my 
<laughs> well, and it's and it's reinforced. Like I've told this story on here before, but there was one day years ago when the girls were little and I was pushing my girls down the, the road on a stroller. And this mom or this older woman like stopped me and said, what a yeah. good dad you are. Yeah. And then she kept walking and I'm like, this would no. never happen to a mom. If no Amy were pushing the yeah, girls down, pushing down the street, yeah. no compliments at all. Of course you should be pushing like, your kids. You know, your little one dropped a shoe about yeah. three steps. I don't want to parent so. your kid. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. And she's like, and I can tell you're, yeah, they're watching exactly. too much TV. There's a lot of screen time. I can tell their babysitter is called an iPad. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. No, I think that's so funny that men get compliments for doing like this is the bare minimum. They're like, oh, it's so one. great to see you present. You mean pushing yeah. this this stroller? Yeah. <laughs> so kind of to that point, and one of the other things I want to talk quickly about, you talk about working with the, you know, a PhD, which I think is so cool, the idea of really gathering the data. <laughs> but you also talked about positive affirmation. So instead of these yeah. things, like you're saying these broken soundtracks, like John was just saying we all have these things that we tell ourselves like, Oh, I'm gone too much. Or I'm, I'm never doing these things. Right. I, I'm really fascinated hearing you speak to this. Like wh what did you learn with the data that y'all got back around positive affirmations? Dude, I did. First of all, I did not want to study positive affirmations. Like <laughs> I grew up with serenity. Now Seinfeld are like, I'm, you know, doggone it. I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. Right. People, yeah, like yeah, me, right. Like, people like me. Yeah, yeah. But I, I kept, there were a couple things that happened. One was I kept running into really, respected like people i really respected that i thought were really fascinating who had the kind of lives i wanted and if i'd get them off mic or off camera and go hey what do you think about positive thinking positive affirmations they'd be like yeah i got this pep talk i give myself or yeah i got these declarations or yeah and i was like dang it i'm gonna have to study this <laughs> mm -hmm. and it was like people like seth godin like not people that you'd go yeah, oh yeah they yeah. post if yeah. you say it out loud the universe provides it the universe doesn't care about john acuff like the universe yeah. is so busy being the universe it's very rarely like yeah we better give that thing john said in his diary to him tomorrow um and so we uh, i wanted to study him so i did two things i went to um kind of the source of motivational positive thinking in our country um zig ziglar who's like the mm. godfather yeah. of that yeah, yeah um and i tried his affirmations for like 30 days and it was like i felt so silly like I said them out loud in my mirror in the morning and at night. My wife – and I did it in the guest bathroom because my wife is like, you can't do that in our bathroom because I don't think we can make out if I've seen you do that. And I was like, that's fair. That's, that's wise. Fair. She's a yeah, wise woman. Yeah, exactly. like, this is not going to end well Proverbs for Proverbs 30. Proverbs 30. That's in the message probably, that exact phrase. And um, the message. So I tried it for like 30 days and I was like, it's actually helpful because what happens is your brain pulls the first soundtrack on the pile. So if you've spent time going, hey, here's these things I'm working on. Here's something I'm positive about. And so then I was like, I'm going to write my own because I'm a writer. So I wrote this thing I called the new anthem where I, I took these 10 statements that I thought would be encouraging for people. And we had 10,000 people go through it. We got feedback from about 1,400 of them. And the people that did it consistently decreased their overthinking, decreased their self-doubt, raised their productivity. And so it worked. And it was one of these situations where you think, well, of course it does. Like not to get too biblical, but like the Bible begs us a thousand times, like, <laughs> hey, like renew your mind. Hey, take every thought captive. Hey, if it's true, lovely, admirable, think on that stuff. Like yeah, you yeah, should like exactly spend right. time thinking that. And then yeah. like, I'm like, 2000 years later like what if we thought positive things deliberately would that be helpful Break, groundbreaking <laughs> thoughts from johnny yeah, exactly so that was really fascinating to me and so that's where it's not just about getting rid of the broken you have to replace it yeah um, and it takes time it takes time to make it sticky the problem is every time you've listened to a broken soundtrack about your life it's like you put another handle on it and it just gets easier to pick it up next time so every time you're five minutes late to the car rider pickup line, even if you've done a full day at work, you got the kids ready, you did everything, you're five minutes late, you hear, I'm the worst dad, I'm the worst mom. And it plays automatically because you've heard it a thousand times. And it's yep. so fast and so fast because it's covered in handles. And so you have to be deliberate to go, here's the new one that I might not even believe yet right now, but this is what I want. Like my the goal of the book is I want to help you write a good story for your life because the story you'll hear more than any other story is the story you tell yourself about yourself. And most people don't know that they get to write that. And they just think like, this is the one I have. Um, this is the one life has given me. Um, even my most high performing friends who lay out their clothes the night before because it means they go to the gym, don't pick their thoughts ahead of time. 
they don't go, hey, I've got a big songwriting session on Thursday, and there's going to be some people in there that I know I'm going to be intimidated by, and I'm going to show up and be like too boastful out of insecurity. So I'm going to have these three soundtracks mm. playing. Like mm-hmm. these are the ones I'm going to think about because, like, the craziest story in the in the, like in the book, in my opinion was this study they did in NYU with college students where they took two groups of college students and they said, okay, to the first group, we want you to make sentences out of this word bank. Bunch of words, make some sentences. Second group, same thing, but they had hidden words related to being elderly in their word bank. So words like Florida and bald and retired. And then they said, okay, after a couple of minutes, the second part of the test is down the hall, walk down there um, and take it. And they secretly timed them walking. And the people who had been exposed no, to the old no. words physically walk slower, just seeing those words. So when somebody goes, hey, do our thoughts have power? Like it's That's mind crazy. blowing. Oh, how much? So dude, that then they crazy. reversed it. Then they were like, can we reverse it? So then a research team in Germany was like, let's flip it. It's called the ideometer effect. Um, so they said, hey, two groups, one group walk at a regular pace. Like you normally walk in this room. Other group, walk slower, like slow your gait, go really slow. And then they gave them a word bank and the people who had walked slower could find the words about being old faster than the people hadn't. So like when somebody goes, does positive thinking work, like it does. And like, I get it. Some of it's silly. So like I'm not a cheesy dude, but like once you tap it, like I think soundtracks is going to be the book I talk about the longest mm-hmm. because the life change we're already seeing. And once you get the concept, you're like, oh, like that, like. I can do that. Or like I had, I was on a podcast the other day and the guy was like, cause every podcast I've done is turned into a therapy session in the middle. They've gone from like asking the questions, the PR team sends to like, Hey, hypothetically, like say there was a guy, we'll call him like rave Barnays. Um, and so this podcaster, I asked him the three questions, true, helpful, kind. He goes, man, I've had the number one podcast in my category for nine months. And every day I hear a broken soundtrack that tells me you're just lucky. You're just lucky. You're just lucky. And he said, if a friend came over and had said, I've worked really hard for nine months, I would never say to him, well, you're just lucky. And he's like, so why am I saying that to myself? That's where like, dude, like I call this book, like a Trojan horse for truth. Cause the questions Mm. like the word true, helpful, kind, that's not like, there's nothing fancy about those words, but when you actually pull the thread, like people are going like, wait a second. Like, I've been listening to a lot of lies. Like yeah. that was the process for this book. I had no idea how many of my sentences I was telling myself ended with you idiot. Like wow. you idiot. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even that nice of a language. I'm just trying to, I know we're trying to be TBS. Like, <laughs> it for TV. If this was like a cool podcast where like there was a swear in the title, it was sure. like dad, Bill. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I would, I would just swear, but I want to. Well, isn't it funny, you know, and, and too, I'll, I'll say, like you said, I think that's something that is, profoundly spiritual too it's you nailed it like we were our body follows our brain right like it's getting the cues from the brain and i think it is profound to hear you talk about it that way because and i think you know when i think about my kids and the spirit of my home something i really get convicted about is how much i feel like i tell our kids no and reprimand over kindness encouragement and these things and it's and it's a real even just hearing you say that it does turn into a little bit of therapy session because i'm like you know i need to be i need the climate of my house to be more positive and encouraging unless i can get in these really weird things with my kids where i'm like i'm i'm the buffer i gotta tell them all the things not to do yeah. you know which is true to some degree but i think there's also so much life to be spoken and not death to be, which gets careful because, you know, Benny in right now is like, somebody said something I love. Where's, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll hit you right now with my sweater. I'll go yeah, ahead and yeah, kill you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I've got an itch on my back. I could get rid of that. But, but, you know, I think it's, it is true though. And I think when you kind of come upon these truths like that and you see it played out in real life, it's a reminder to me that like, man, what we say matters. I mean, you said it like there's, there's life or death in our words and to see that kind of, so, so here's the question, like thinking about your girls, how have you, one of the things that I think is so fascinating about what you do, um, and you know, cause the space you're in too, is it's not just writing fiction books where, you know, it's great stories and it's fascinating things, but you're writing these things that do have a, a real serious sense of like, here's what can make your life better. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, being a dad and with your girls, how do these things translate or do they not? Or do you find that you're like, 
it's the test ground for everything you're studying or oh, it totally, I mean, it totally translates and they'll, they'll tell me my book back to me. Like if I, if they see me do a massive goal, that is just me overreaching. <laughs> they will be, remember that time you're on that book finish? Like you should cut your goal in half. Like, no, they're, I mean, they're teenagers. And so now, do, do they, translates. do they read your books on their own or do you, is it important for you? No, that they, they read like, them? When they go, no, they, my, I mean, my daughter, my youngest daughter, when she was our oldest daughter, when she was like in sixth grade at small group, they had to say what their parents did. And she said, my dad writes business books are pretty boring, but I guess they pay the bills. So like, they're not like, they're not reading, but they're around the ideas and we're talking through them. So like, yeah. you know, for instance, um, like my daughter, my oldest daughter uh, plays trumpet in the high school band. And I, I'm sure you guys know, like Trump or musical band is, is kind of built on chairs, like chair right. one is the yeah. best yeah. chair 12, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And you can challenge the kid above you. And so my daughter was like, I want to challenge the kid. I want to work my way up. Like, I don't like my spot. And so she challenged this kid above her. And he was like, Oh, what are you? One of those tryhards?" And he meant it as an insult. And she was like, yeah, that's right. I'm a tryhard. Let's go. And he forfeited. And she was like, fine, jump in that level. Let's go. And so like, oh, wow. that, she shares that story. And then we, that becomes a, a phrase, a soundtrack in our house of like, yeah, we're tryhards. Yeah. Like, we're, mm. we're tryhards. You know, like, that's what we do. Um, we as a family, you know, that, that's one of our, our core values. Like mm. we try hard. Um, one of the soundtracks in the book um, is everything's always working out for me because it's a it's a phrase that my friend of mine, James Victoria, talks about. It helps you see the positive. And so like when I get a good parking place, I'll be like, girls, why would we get this space? And they will go, everything's always working out for you. I'm like, exactly. Because I'm a pretty naturally pessimistic person uh -huh. like i keep telling people fear comes free faith takes work you wow. don't ever have to worry will fear find you it will find you the yeah. english language they did this study uh roy baumeister we don't even have a word for the opposite of the word trauma in the english language and what i mean by that is a word that typifies that you're in the grocery store and all, and all of a sudden this overwhelming joy from seven years ago hits you but we've all had that moment where we remember something dumb we said and something finds us. And so you have to look for the positive. You have to work at the positive. And so I involve my kids in that process because they're going through that too. Like it's not easy to be a teenager. Like they're growing up right. in a world that's challenging. Yeah. And so we, you know, we constantly will have those conversations. Um, okay, we're tryhards. What does that, what does that look like? Um, you know, another one of ours is like, we don't show up hungry. Like when we go on a road trip to see friends, unless it's supposed to have dinner at the end, we eat before we get there. Like we don't roll in hot being like, we're here, feed us. Like we're like, we don't show up hungry. We'll stop an hour before, like have, you know, have lunch and then show up. And it's a silly little thing, but it's one that I know my kids are like, no, that's part of being a good guest. Like you yeah. don't walk through the door and demand things. Like yeah. that's, mm. that's how we appreciate that we're staying there. And so little things like that. I think every family's writing them, just most of the time they're not written on purpose. Right. And hmm. if you pause and go, okay, well, what are they? You know, and and how do you know how do we write them in, in to the kind of family we'd like to be? So selfishly, I'd like to ask you because uh, I, I have was wondering if you were going to ask. Oh this, yeah, John. I've been sitting this whole time. So you have two daughters, and I think your your daughters are the same uh, age difference as my two daughters. Mine are eight and five, five and a half. Um, so just give me, uh, you can take all the time that you would like. You can, Dave can leave if he wants to <laughs> give me advice because we're, you know, it's great. I have a great relationship with my daughters. I love them to death and I am deathly scared of where you are right now. Like the teenage years, I, I'm just curious, like what, what advice, if you could go back and you could, you could talk to yourself when your kids yeah, were eight that. and five, what would you say? Well, I would say that uh, having teenagers is awesome. They're awesome. We yeah. demonize it in our culture. Like it's awesome. Yeah. Like, so anybody who tells you like, do they hate you yet? It's garbage. Like why that talk about a broken soundtrack, the expectation right, right, right. that wow. when they become yep. adolescents, yep. they well, now hate when you. I, no. When I see people, parents who have older kids, like teenagers, especially daughters, and they have a great relationship, it's so great to see. And I always think like, what is it that I have to do now to make sure that I get there? You know what I mean? Well, you do the stuff you do now. Like I always tell parents, like if you want a sweet 16 or a kind 16 year old, teach a six year old kindness and give them 10 years to practice. 
Like that's that's the trick. We go. And we so go. like the things you're doing right now are planting the seed for that. Uh, like you are valuable to me. I love spending time with you. Like the thing I'm doing right after this, this morning I texted my oldest daughter. I was like, hey, you want to throw Frisbee at 430 when you get home from school? She's like, sure. She's great at Frisbee. Like she can yeah. throw sidearm flick. Like she's fantastic. So we're going to do that right after this. But you start doing that all along. Like it's kind of – I always tell dads, like especially dads – the times you say like, well, I'm doing this for my kids and I'm not, you know, I'm going to be working a hundred hours a week and I'm doing it for my kids. Like I've never met a 13 year old who was like, my dad wasn't around, but I have a sweet bike. Like I have a really like full suspension, full suspension bike. <laughs> it was worth it. Like, that's not what, like, that's not what kids care about. So it's I a think, carbon fiber handle and it has yeah, yeah, two I can't different pads. I can't stress this enough. Your back. It's <laughs> yeah. so nice. These I can't aren't stress free. this enough. Yeah. yeah, these yeah, these are free. Like poor kids don't have this. I mean, they get to see their dad, but they don't have this. I'll tell you that right now. They don't have this. Um, and then the other thing is like just being present. So it changes as they get older, like present to the things they care about. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a couple switches mm-hmm. that happen. There's mm-hmm. a switch that happens where when you get mm-hmm. home and you have a little kid, they run down the front yard. When you have a teenager, you run into the house and find them. That's a mm-hmm. switch. They don't run down to you, you run in to find mm-hmm. them. Um you know, there's a switch about like it switches from reading them a story to have you seen any funny videos today, dad? Or can I show you a funny video? I like, so there becomes more yeah. connection points, but you're doing that all along. And then, yeah, I think it's super fun. Um, and the other thing is like being present to it and talking through it. Like we, you know, before spring break, we're like, remember no bathing suit photos on Instagram. Like that's not like, we're, amen, you know, we're trying amen. to set them up for success. We, we know Instagram, like Instagram doesn't care about your kid. Like it doesn't, like, right. you know? And so like, we're kind of, I guess we could be strict in some sense, but we'd say if Instagram has to legally not allow your kid until they're 13 to have an account, like they shouldn't have one at 11. Like, mm, cause they're not yeah. doing like that. Like it's not, I would never give a kid like that freedom and that responsibility. Like it's too mm. much, dude. Like mm-hmm. a 10 year old, I, I have a hard time with Instagram. I'm 45. So mm. like, you're just continually kind of having these conversations as they, as they get older. Um, but yeah, it ends up, it ends up just being super fun and there's challenges and there's moments yeah. where you go from laughing to crying with no transition. And you're like, I had no, I like, I didn't know, like, okay, we're like, we're doing this thing. Um, but that's what's, that's what's makes life really fun and yeah. really, you know, really creative too. You know, I, I was thinking Dave and I were talking about before the interview, the, the amount of positive affirmation in general, that I think our generation gives our kids has got to be, you know, tenfold. Record-breaking. Right. What was given to us, right? And, and, and all your work that you've done uh, with positive affirmation, is there any, is there any, like, would you say, like, no, it's all good. You can't, you can't give your kids no. too much positive affirmation. Well, I mean, here's what I'd say. Like, so I talked to Tom Ziegler about this. Um, and I, cause I was like, is it just fake it till you make it? Like, do you just always mm-hmm. like sunshine? It's whatever. And he was like, no, he said, it's not helpful. He yeah. said, if, you know, if your kid has an F and you're like, you should tell yourself I'm an amazing student. Like their brain knows they're not the brain. Like that causes cognitive dissonance where right. your brain goes, you're lying and it's not helpful. He said, what you do is you tell the truth in advance. I'm getting mm-hmm. smarter every day in every way. Like I'm working hard. So no, we don't try to like. We don't use positive, like you never fix a broken soundtrack with a new lie. So uh-huh. if my kid got a bad grade, I go, yeah, I don't know that, you know, maybe you didn't study hard enough for that. What can we do next time? What can you like, and I'll be supportive to that, but it doesn't help if I go, you're just the best ever. Like you're like, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> right, like, right. you make a 48 look so good. Like it's a bit <laughs> like it's, if you double it, that's a 96. Like that's not helpful. And right. I'm also like, part of my job is to prepare them for the world. So we say all the time, one of our soundtracks is, we're not raising kids. We're raising adults. We're not raising kids. We're raising adults. Wow. So how do yeah. we how do we raise great adults yeah. that are capable of handling hardship? Um, you know, are capable of handling the truth. Um, and so yeah, for and but there is that like people say, well, is tough love different from being kind? And I think t- like the truth is always kind in the long run. Mm-hmm. Like it might not wow. be fun in that moment, but it's always kind in the long run. Right. And so that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. My gosh. What a great quote. The truth is always kind in the long run. Okay, so we we end the podcast with two questions every time. Um, and so so first of all, thanks, Cameron, for being on. I feel like you've dented the floor with yeah, the knowledge we, that you've Yeah, we have a lot more to talk about. Hopefully we can have you back. Uh, 
Yeah. Uh, so, so here are the two questions. I'll ask the first one. What is the one thing you want your kids to know? Um, I, I want them to know that I love them. Mm. Like that's the, that I, that I love them that, mm. you know, we kind of say we're trying to fill our kids up with so much love that when the world bumps them and they spill, they don't get empty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, so that they know that I love them. Great. You guys That's have great. a lot of great sayings. <laughs> yeah. It's like I write books or something. It's for like a living. you write books. <laughs> yeah. You know what the equivalent would be with that? So John is like, you know, we have a little song about that. Yeah, yeah. When the world bumps out, Five we sail <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Last question. What do you want your kids to say at your funeral? Ooh. Um, at my funeral... Um, I mean, it feels cheesy to say the same thing in reverse, like that my dad loved me. That feels a little cheesy. Um, well, edit that know. one out. Go with a new one. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I want to say it in case other guests try to pull that on you. Like if other people try to just flip it on y'all, then you should be like, nah, dude, no, no. that ain't hey, it. Already did Johnny, that. Johnny told us that was whack. Yeah. Johnny told us that was lazy. What do I want them to say at my funeral? Um, I would, you know what? I would want them to tell jokes. I would want them to tell mm-hmm. funny stories about fun things we did. Mm-hmm. Um, like I keep threatening our running gag right now is that I keep threatening to do Instagram reels. I'm like, I'm going to do some <laughs> dancing Instagram reels like six months late. Like, and I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to do so many memes that are six months too late. And there's a lot of my do- my oldest daughter's friends follow me on Instagram. Uh-huh. So I know like if I do something embarrassing, her friends are getting like, back to her. Yeah. It's getting back to her. So like, I would want, you know, if I would want them to be able to laugh at my funeral because we've had so much fun, so much joy. Yeah. Um, and they feel so equipped to handle you know, the day after my funeral because, because of how, how loved they were. Wow. I love that. Jeez. That was good. They're equipped um, to handle John, the day you. after your funeral. Wow. How about that? Yeah. I'm telling you, man, this is like, this should come with a warning. Um, <laughs> thank so you. Funny. Uh, Thank you. I'm so stoked, so stoked about reading soundtracks. That was like, um, I feel like there's a lot in there that that is it's very and like you said, it's like a sneaky. It, like you said, it's a Trojan horse of truth. It's sneaky yeah. truth. That's what you should have called it. Sneaky <laughs> truth. Sneaky truth. Yeah, that was our second title. But we went. We that went was also your DJ name, wasn't it? Sneaky truth. <laughs> <laughs> you just misspelled into oblivion with you know? no with no vowels. Like you just <laughs> had to sign. Say, it was just like, <laughs> you had to sound it out. Love, love, Vila. Vowels are for old people. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. Well, dude, thank you for being. On. Thanks so much. Deadville. Hey, Dadville friends, it's Dave Barnes here. Did you know that I also played music? <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty decent at it, so you should check it out sometime. But seriously, I wanted to take a second and invite you to a very special show I'm doing. I'm headlining the Ryman Auditorium in Nashville. That's right, the Mother Church. If you're looking for a reason to get out in Nashville or to take a trip to Nashville to hear some music, this is it, folks. Join me in Nashville on July 24th. The amazingly talented Jordy Cersei is opening the show, and it's going to be so fun and so amazing. And yes, I'm biased, but tickets are available at DaveBartons.com or TheRyman.com. Would love to see you there. 